What's up, Fano? This is the worst part of podcasting, man. All of it? The whole podcasting yeah, process? Yeah, came up with this idea? <laughs> I think, no, like getting it started. Yeah. You know, and like figuring out like, all right, there's kind of shit, but then it starts to get good, but then you don't have the context of the part that got guts good. Beep up. Why don't we just start by cheering? Cheers. Cheers. Na zdrowie. Salut. We did that last time. It's a thing. Um, I think we went through like all of the ones. Yeah, we know. true. That's yeah. how we started. Uh, we'll just this is there. all the beer we have, though. Un poquito biru. Un poquito. That's Spanish biru. and Japanese. Biru. <laughs> um, because times are tough. Yeah. What with uh, the the there's a strike, right? There's the beer people. Yeah, the striking. beer strikes That's of uh, Montreal. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, it's yeah. been going on for a while. Uh, beer workers That's are right. not beering. Other than that, everything else is great. Yeah, the words in them. <laughs> Great spot. Uh, so much. No, actually, they're not striking. They're essential workers. Did you know that? The actually, beer makers are essential workers. Wow. Uh, actually, funny thing. I went to, uh, well, here in Canada for that international audience that I'm pretty sure we're racking up by oh, yeah. our third episode. Oh, yeah. Um, the liquor is only sold at government stores. Oh, yeah. The good old sack. sack. Um yeah. And funny thing, um, now that we're in quarantine-ish, 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 uh, I passed by a sack the other day, yeah. and the line for the sack like went all around the store. Shit! Was you everybody know? like two meter apart, or were they holding? Yeah, they, hands? they were. You know, they're like making out with strangers yeah, 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 yeah. and like As just bumping would. up. You know, when there's yeah, yeah. like somebody in line standing like behind you and they're like breathing down your neck, and you're just like, uh, <sighs> now it's like extra. Yeah, no, for sure. No, like, it's corona. Make sure you touch. Yeah. Um, but it's surprising. Uh, it came up in conversation at one point. Like, well, what are what, what are people going to do in this time but drink? Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's... We, are we talking about films today? Or let's just, we, we could keep talking yeah, about we, this we, and we'll get into the, the films. That we watch Clerks. We we'll talk about Clerks, clerks later. Um, but while we're talking about clerk stuff, these people are working like clerks. Um, what was I going to say about that? Yeah, the whole, uh, the whole alcohol thing's like really, like, some people are like, oh, like it's an essential need, like, come on, like, there's alcoholics that if they don't have their alcohol, they can go into like, I think it's called septic shock. So like, there is like a danger. Really? Oh yeah. Is that a thing? Cut off an alcoholic? Oh, well, well, yeah, no, if you cut somebody Ooh, with like a, like a physical dependency you're on it, yeah. And so there's that aspect, but there's also the aspect of like normalcy and, and, you know, like, you gotta keep the spirits up. <laughs> like, if, if people are... <laughs> that's why they're called spirits. That's right. But Is it's it? true, because, like, man, if, if yeah, if, uh, if they pull that away, and it's like, yeah, people's... It's, uh, it's a worrying thing that people can get, like, uh, yeah. I mean, you're distract. locked down with people that you probably hate, like your family, <laughs> and you don't have any alcohol to get that, like... To tolerate them, yeah. you know, like I mean, right. people are gonna get like stabby stabby and choky choky <laughs> with each other. Not, yeah. So it's like, yeah, keep if, them good and drunk. Keep them good and drunk because that helps to alleviate violence. Exactly. So speaking of alleviating <laughs> violence with alcohol, well, we'll see how we get with. I I mean I'm finna get drunk with this. Oh yeah, <laughs> not gonna happen. So today. Uh, the other thing that we can do yeah. besides drinking and trying not to kill each other is watch movies. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we watched Clerks. We sure did. We sure Your did. Your suggestion. Yeah, my suggestion because I watched it like so long ago. Well, why? Because because it's something that I really, really do. I try to like push Kevin Smith onto mm. people. I was like, dude, you gotta check it out. It's pretty fun. It's pretty wild. It's pretty unique. You know, you see a movie by Kevin Smith, and it's a Kevin Smith film. It's very Kevin Smithy. Uh, and no matter if you're seeing Clerks or you're seeing like Yoga Hosers or Tusk or Dogma or whatever, you're like, okay, that was a Kevin Smith mm. flick. Um, and uh, it's divisive. Like, there's a lot of people that don't like Kevin Smith. Yeah, he's uh, for sure the type of director you'd say is a niche. Oh, so niche. And, yeah. you know, he has his core audience. He's got his core fans and they're loyal Mm. intense fans and I will count myself as one of those I'm a big Kevin Smith uh, like fan full disclosure I guess like I listen to his podcast and check out like his interviews you watch um, his poster and masturbate yeah of course <laughs> um, I have a huge Kevin Smith poster in my room yeah, yeah, yeah. like the first thing I wake up I bet like I hung it from the ceiling so the next oh, first thing yeah. I, first I wake thing. up and it's like oh Kevin Smith ah, Smith um <laughs> No, but I'm a big fan of him because... Why, yeah, I want to hear why you're a big fan of the Smith. I'm a big fan of the Smith because he is authentic in mm. being Kevin Smith. Yeah, he do what he do. And it's something that you see a lot of people that have a style and they have... Especially filmmakers, right? You see people um, that's like... Wes Anderson, for example. Yeah. I love Wes Anderson. I love his movies. You watch a Wes Anderson film and you're you know like... Wes Anderson. Ah, you watch a fucking... Wes Anderson like frame and you're like yeah, yeah, yeah. that's Wes Anderson and a lot of people try to imitate that yeah. and that's that's what you get I'm not saying uh, that to any fault of him but um, I don't th I think that the Wes Anderson that the world sees is um, the work of Wes Anderson you see that's a Wes Anderson well that's a Wes Anderson work mm -hmm. but when you think about who is Wes Anderson as a person? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't you know, come across as it doesn't much come in across. the films. Whereas... I mean, his personal life. I'm pretty sure that there's people mm. that love uh, that, uh, a certain director or a certain personality, and they're like, oh, yeah, and, you know, this person, you follow them on social media and stuff, you get to feel, see, like, yeah, who yeah, they yeah. are. But Kevin Smith, especially because he's been a podcaster for so long, he's been podcasting for, like, close to 15 years now. Mm. Uh, he was yeah, one he's of the, one of the OGs. He was one of the pioneers of the podcasting business. And uh, he's famously said that uh, he started podcasting because um, they could fire you from being a director. They could fire you from, like, being mm. an actor, a writer, whatever. But yeah. if you're a podcaster, you know, they cannot fire you from being you. Yeah, except YouTube. YouTube's all over that. Yeah, that I guess. Too. <laughs> um, but so him being a creator that's so... Yeah, he's super. He's like the self. definition of indie too, right? Yeah, he's, he's like um, always controlled. Like he produced that film. He, he's, he's, yes, uh, yeah. to the point, like I've got, uh, I've got stories about that. And stories he's told. Uh, so I'm pretty sure people listening to this like, oh, fucking I love Kevin Smith. They pretty much know the, their stories because he's such a storyteller yeah. that... Even he tells the stories of his life in such a way in interviews and at conventions and in his podcasting. Yeah. Um, but just the fact that he's so uniquely, authentically who he is from the aspect that's it's like he's a comic book nerd, he's a podcaster, he's a filmmaker, he's a writer, uh, and all of that comes across like he can't turn off being himself. So he's always yeah. being himself. And that's something that I really value as and a creator. Yeah, and I, I think like um, what you're saying about like recognizing his personality like through his work, 
I think like a lot of the dialogue is like I can kind of imagine him just he's writing his oh 100% it's all like basically he's vocalizing what he wants to say kind of thing through his other characters and then once a film he actually speaks up and goes hey blah 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 theme of the film boom god line leaves <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's a criticism that he's gotten a lot that said like well every character sounds like Kevin Smith and even uh, the dialogue is weird. It's it's like that's one thing about the dialogue is yeah the dialogue. First thing I said is like man the dialogue's so weird, but it's good weird. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting seeing clerics in twenty twenty mm. when it was a film done in like ninety three ninety four, mm. um, and thinking how much uh, of the dialogue and the way people talk in that movie it's not so unique nowadays. Mm. Uh, of course, there's a certain uh, rhythm and l like a lyrics aspect yeah. to it of how people banter with each other and how they just bounce off ideas so fast that like the actors are just kind of... It really feels like they're saying the words instead it. of feeling. Yeah. Exactly, right? So it's like they it's have discussion, wordy. especially when you've got uh, Dante and uh, Veronica that they're talking about like, uh, well, you know, how many people you slept with and all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So instead of him as a writer and director taking the time to show like, this is what you're saying, this is the emotion that the character is feeling. It's more of just like banter mm. and you get it from the dialogue instead of getting it from the performance. Mm. Um, so much that it's almost like Kevin Smith as a character is delivering all the lines. Yeah, you know, these, mm. there's not that much of a difference between characters as they're delivering the lines. Mm. And is that is that the case through like all of his films? Because like, for me, this like this is his first film, mm -hmm. right? It's like his breakout film. Is that like a thing that he's kind of conserved in his style, or is that a thing where it's kind of like beginner's mistake? I jammed in it... too much dialogue, and the actors are just like, I am saying these words, and I need to. See. Oh, you're gonna say that? Okay, I'm gonna say this. You know, it's like. I think he's always kept it in a certain way, but it's not it's not as like a ping pong game mm. in his later films. Um, and especially he usually directs what he writes. He's got a couple of films that he's directed that he didn't write. Mm -hmm. um, and it does like he's working with more experienced actors, mm. uh, not to fall to the performances of uh Clerks, but everybody there was pretty much that was their first yeah. movie project that they were involved with. Yeah, and still, I mean, like all the characters were like freaking like lovable and like yeah, yeah. You got attached to all of them and everything, and it's still yeah. good character building. You know, it's like the 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 acting wasn't that dis like I didn't find it the acting distracting. It's no, just not at all. The writing, it's just it's a unique film. It's like yeah, <laughs> you don't normally write dialogue that way. You don't like the people no. don't speak like normal people. Um, but it's weird because they don't speak like normal people, but they don't speak like uh, movie characters either. Exactly. And I think actually that's the strength of the film too, because like um, it's kind of, well, one of the first strengths is that like it's relatable for so many people who don't usually see that relatable content in films. It's about bullshit, dip and our job. Like a convenience store in the rest of the world. <laughs> it's uh, like Matt's little French corner. Like, yeah. welcome to the Quebec. Side exactly. Of the... Um, in Quebec, <laughs> Quebecers have these places called. Uh, actually, it's called Quebecois. In Quebecois, <laughs> they got this place called Depanel. 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 They're actually convenience stores, uh, but more convenient because you can buy you can actually buy wine there now uh, and beer. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, so. Yeah, that's true. Well, not but, just uh, the... In some convenience stores, you can buy it. I mean, I guess depending on like where you just live not in the hard world, liquor right? And but stuff, like, but yeah. um, if you're it's true, a lot of them you can buy like hard liquor. And you're stuff. from yeah, we're the... less convenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, but if you're in uh, the English Canada, yeah, 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 you cannot. No, that's even more complicated. You got to go to like LCBO and stuff, mm-hmm. or the yeah. beer store in Ontario. That's what they call it. The beer that's store, like the nickname for it. But what was I saying? Yeah, it's like uh, relatable for uh, the common folk because like mm-hmm. you. Most people have had a job where they were a clerk at some, you know, or a cashier. And it's like, um, that appeals to people who are, you know, you're not used to seeing that many films appeal to that kind of crowd. And that kind of, um, we were saying about the dialogue, um, that weirdness is like, it captures a lot of the really silly interactions yeah. that would normally never make it on screen because they're not important to drive a story forward, yeah, exactly. kind of. But in this case, like, that is the story, right? So right. it's like, it's refreshing compared to what you're normally seeing. And it's an interesting um, Like the conversation because... about the guy, cat, like, well, in the car with a camera whipping left and right. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, who the hell puts that in the film? And it's awesome. Yeah. It's like one of the best scenes. And uh, it's, I mean, nowadays you get that more, you know? Mm-hmm. You're not that impressed or exactly. shocked by like, hey, you're having a conversation for sucking your own dick. No, after like Superbad and all that stuff, yeah. like that became super commonplace. Like, and, uh, everyone's got those ridiculous conversations now. But again, but this, this was is before. 94, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, a big aspect of it is like, there's these, around that time, uh, you've heard the concept of a mumblecore. Uh, is that like in the film. mumble rap where they just... Not no. necessarily in film. And I don't know if it's the, that's the, the right term, but it's, uh, it. it's, it's when, uh, for example, Tarantino, it's putting dialogue in a movie that doesn't move the story forward. Mm. Uh, because, you know, uh, when you write a script, you have a certain amount of pages that says that the movie's a certain amount of yeah. uh, length, it takes a certain time, so you want to be very economical with what you write. So it's like every scene needs to, we've all heard that, right? Every yeah. scene needs to fulfill uh, at least two or three purposes at yeah. the same time. You drive the yeah. story, develop, develop the, the character, uh, yeah. show some of the world. Shit. Yeah. So, uh, the fact that writers start putting dialogue that has nothing to do with any of those goals, it's just mumbling mm. in, in a way, right? And Tarantino does it in uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. The whole, like, you know what they call a bit, uh, pork uh, pounder? Uh, 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 McRoyal with cheese. McRoyal with cheese, yeah. That whole, that whole conversation, you, you... That whole conversation when I was in France made me buy a McRoyal with cheese and I bought it with a Heineken beer. Oh, nice. You can, it was uh, the yeah, best. Yeah, you can do that. You can do there. that. It was the best. Couldn't um, believe it. That's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, that whole conversation, that's like one of my favorite, like... Uh, like one of my f- favorite film school anecdotes mm-hmm. is like learning about that uh, Pulp Fiction. Just that opening scene is just like it's like th- five minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Like it's a fairly long scene about absolutely nothing. Right, and it's just talking about hamburgers. Exactly, and that uh, like if you go to your typical the proper way to yeah. write a script, especially back then, mm-hmm. um, that it was even more formulaic back yeah. then, uh, storytelling and filmmaking. You like anybody would read your script and be like, "You gotta cut this. Yeah, it's sure. not serving a purpose, yeah, yeah, yeah. not anything." But the purpose <clears throat> that those uh, lines uh, fulfill is that you are actually fleshing out the world as a real world, yeah, and the characters as and real humans. Yeah, that and like, so the example of the Pulp Fiction. What's really like, I love that scene. Like, I, I know more about it. Like, um, it's 
especially that they're establishing the dynamic between the two characters mm -hmm. like the way that they talk to each other they're you're basically showing like who drives the conversation and who's mentoring the other person and the other one's more in a listening and like once in a while challenging but it's kind of like that that dynamic is what's being yeah. put forward and it, that could have been put forward in a classical way where it could have been like all right who we killing today how we doing it you know but it's instead of that it's mcroyal with cheese and which is so awesome because that makes it feel way more real and there's way more it sets the tone yeah. very well it's like a little absurd oh, yeah. yeah and it also fleshes out the characters in an interesting and original way. It makes and it more relatable. 100%. And mm. you see the same ideas in Cleric when you have Randall have these conversations about, you know, they're blowing up the Death Star and there's like independent yeah. contractors in there. Like <laughs> the rebels just like committed like genocide yeah. or like they just murder a bunch of people. Yeah. And the way those scenes are framed is usually Randall comes over to Dante, says some ridiculous pop culture or like just an observation of ridiculousness because he doesn't give a shit about his his work or he's, he's just a yeah. guy that's just like thinking about these things. Like he's carefree, he doesn't give a shit, he doesn't mm -hmm. complain. Um, and then the... But at the same time, it's like a very almost like intellectual character mm -hmm. because he's always thinking, he's always yeah, yeah, yeah. analyzing this shit, but he's not troubled by it. Mm. Um, and then Dante is a character that he's always uptight. He's always like, why are you having this conversation? Like, I, I'd rather be focusing on work. That's a meaningless yeah. job. So in a way, it does define the relationship that eventually sets up the theme and reinforces the theme Very of true. the movie about how these characters go about being clerics. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting because Kevin Smith and Tarantino are contemporaries and they're both uh, from the Miramax um, Pub, uh, production house in a way okay. um, the way they started uh, Tarantino started before and he did uh, Reservoir Dogs mm -hmm. and a little bit after um, Miramax bought Clerks the story of how Clerks happened was um, Kevin Smith was going to film school he decided to go to film school he went to Vancouver Film School where he developed a love for all things Canadian and he met Scott Mosher, Probably. who is his uh, partner in crime and producer of everything he does. Mm. And at some point, Ken Smith was like, you know what? I'd rather take the money that I'm going to put in film school, yeah. drop out, and make my own film. Yep. Uh, Scott Mosher was like, no, man, I, let's, I, I'd rather just finish school. Mm. So um, they made a deal. They said, like, uh, you finish school, I'm going to go home. Whoever, we're both going to write a script. Whoever finishes the script first, mm -hmm. uh, that's the script we're going to produce. Jeez. So, I mean, that's pretty easy. Like, one guy's busy with school. You're at home doing fuck all except writing a script. So there you go. So, exactly. And, <laughs> and that's pretty much... And that's kind of having the relationship because uh, a lot of people know Kevin Smith. Uh, and a lot of people are familiar with his work. But Scott Mosher is an integral part of his work. Mm. Since he's been the producer on every single uh, Kevin Smith movie that they've done, and uh, part of the whole Kevin Smith brand, he's been mm -hmm. a producer in that as well, uh, and he's got a lot of knowledge on like, at, especially at this time where they're, they're doing clerics, right? Because he's still in film school, they're developing this shit. So uh, Kevin Smith finishes the script, he brings everybody from uh, like their. Scott Mosher and I think a couple of other people from film school to Jersey where he used to work at a convenience store. Okay. So he has access to the convenience store. 
he said it that uh, he learned it from uh, Robert Rodriguez that they're like, okay, how uh, if you're gonna do a movie, you don't have any money, yeah, like shoot with what's do, available. Shoot with what's available. So he said, I've got a convenience store. That's dope. Uh, fun fact is that part of how, why the they can't open the like the still shutters from the from in the movie is mm-hmm. because. They had to shoot at night when the convenience store was closed. Okay. So they're like, how can we shoot at night? Oh, if we have a window right behind it. It's like, well, just keep it shut. Just Say somebody like put gum in the lock. We cannot open it. Hmm. Um, and things like that. So they worked with what they had. They make the movie for 40 grand. Whoa. That's decent. It's pretty decent. And, and I think it was, uh, he said that most of it was the film stock that yeah. they had to buy. Yeah. And the food for the crew and everybody that they were paying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they did local castings in Jersey and nice. got a team, got everything. And uh, eventually they just put in the festival circuit. It ended up in Sundance. Mm. And in Sundance, it got recognition. Before going to Sundance, I think, at a local screening in, um, or a festival in New Jersey or somewhere mm-hmm. around that, uh, critics saw it. And he tells the story in, a, in such a way that they're doing the screening. There's like friends, family, mm-hmm. and like one old dude no. that he's like, oh my God, these guys, he doesn't even know what he just, We're talking about sucking your own dick and like 37 dicks. <laughs> guys, no idea what he walked Oh my God, it. it's going to be awful for him. And he says that by the end of the movie, he just stands up and leaves. And he's like, well, no fucking, of course, no man. Sure. There's like, somebody like fucks a corpse in, in this movie. Um, <laughs> But eventually, what he didn't know is that he was a film journalist, and he reaches reaches out to somebody else that writes an article about clerics. Mm-hmm. That gets clerics in Sundance, Dang guy. and in Sundance, uh, the people that work uh, for Miramax, that at that point was run by Harvey Weinstein, classic. Um, Harvey, they're like, Harvey, you need to see this movie. You got to see this movie. He's like, nah, fuck it, whatever. So they sent And then they said, there's a dead guy who has sex with a woman in the bathroom. And he's like, oh, come on, we're fucking yes. Harvey, Jesus. <laughs> classic Harvey. Car- classic there. Harvey. So uh, they actually try to send him a review copy ahead of time. Like okay. somebody contacts uh, Kevin Smith and he's like, hey, we just, we wonder if we can get like a, a copy of the movie, want to show it around, like whatever. Mm-hmm. He sends it to them, they show it to Harvey. Harvey's like, oh, I don't know. He, he didn't make it through the movie. And I think that at the point where he's famously quoted saying that like at the point of where they're like, oh, it's 37 dicks. It's like, why am I, why am I watching <laughs> these? Like, fuck this shit. Um, and it's something that's very true because I think you get used to the to how it's written and the dialogue as the movie progresses. Yeah, exactly. In the beginning, it's, and that's like the highlight of where the dialogue is the most uncomfortable because it's like it's right after this really long shot where they're like both sitting down and like chatting, mm-hmm. and it's just like the dialogue is like honestly in that scene kind of unbearable to be honest. Like personally, I, I was like, well, this is super unnatural. So it's like the peak, but then later on, you're you're like, no, it's that's. Like, that's the, the style of the thing, and, like, it mm-hmm. kind of grows on you, that, like, ridiculous... Like, those ridiculous conversations really grow mm-hmm. on you. Especially the... Then, like, after that scene, you get Randall as a character. Oh, so yeah, and he's... And Randall's uh, fucking hilarious. Yeah, he makes the film. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, so, eventually, the film makes it to, um, to Sundance. Mm-hmm. They show it round. It gets it gets recognition. It gets like some grand jury prize or something like nice. that. 
uh it's so funny because like kevin smith and scott motion were like oh yeah whatever we got the movie nobody's gonna fucking care like nobody's gonna see it like oh we're not even gonna go to like the um to this like special ceremony or whatever mm -hmm. and the organizers was like no kevin Kevin, you gotta go. You gotta show up. And it's like, oh, come on, man! Like, ah, we, we, I didn't even bring a suit. Like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. some kids that are like, it is like 24 or something. Shit. Um, they're like, ah, whatever. We're just gonna fucking show it around. We're gonna fuck around, yeah. and uh, then we're gonna see some movies, and we're gonna fly back to Jersey. Um, because the movie didn't get so much like critical acclaim or, or even mm -hmm. popularity. Nobody was seeing the movie before before that. Um, eventually they had a screening. The screening was packed. Mm. Uh, and people were all talking about like clerics, 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 and it has an impact to do because of the article that these reporter wrote that she was like a big deal mm. writer at the time. Uh, after the screening, uh, him and Scott Mosher talked to Harvey Weinstein. He's like, oh, you got to come have lunch with us, like whatever. Mm. So, and in that moment, he buys the movie. He buys the distribution rights to the movie Dang. and brings him into Miramax. And in the time, Miramax was the production house that, well, the distribution house that had uh, Tarantino movies. Mm. It was the, what A24 is now, it was Miramax in the 90s. That so, sounds good. So being... <laughs> I have no idea what A24 is. Uh, A24 is like the... Oh, anything. It's not like the indie because they're, it's like the, you've got indie, then you've got like huge big budget films and you've got that weird in between that you're like this might be made by like a, yeah. a small budget but at the same time it's like an interesting it's like indie vibes on a big budget kind <clears> of <throat> production house that's like a24 um and like we could go through the list and so at like, that time miramax was kind of like that miramax was the place to be for new young uh, that makes sense too if you're talking about tarantino at the time of that's reservoir like, dogs at that point it's, yeah. it's exactly that and so clerks is in between reservoir dogs and pulp fiction Mm. so like he's he's with that crowd at that point and i was it's like a good oh, crowd yeah it's like, and it's uh everyone loves the film he just like it cemented his career as like now you're a filmmaker gets him more films i mean it came i think it came with a contract with miramax of like your next three films we're distributing them or something like that Jeez. um and i mean he's 24 at that point Could you imagine it's crazy um so just yeah. You were talking about how, yeah, so, but how do you, like, what was I going to say? I was, I think we both lost our train of thought there. Let's yeah, have a true. moment of silence. Dialogue. <laughs> what was I going to say? There was a thing I wanted to say about, hmm, I don't know. I guess we're going to have to cut this part. Probably is. Most likely not. We'll just fester in the awkwardness. Yeah. That could be good. Is fester a word? Yeah, yeah, like, like wounds fester. Yeah, that's right. Ah, yeah. <laughs> it's festering. It's like sickening. Oh, this is weird. I should just uh, grab a sip from this cup that's hanging out mm -hmm. in Fano's place. This is really creepy. Is it? No, but this it's not. It's just a... <laughs> it's an anime girl dressed in like a Mexican costume. It's hilarious. I love it. Um, yeah. What else is there to say? I don't know. I mean... It's, it's what, a, so yes, that's what I wanted to say. What did he go on to do after? Like after uh, that, after Clerks, he did, what was his next film? Uh, Mallrats, I believe. Because I feel like like he's never had any films that made it like really big. Like he's no, always he's been always, like a cult, like yeah. He's got under the radar director. And he's been kind of like 
under the radar indie and then like he's got some really like bomb movies like yeah uh, and then he's got some some hits and then he's kind of just like kind of stayed in that line and he's a very he's he talks a lot about how like how he makes movies how he approaches it what kind of stories he wants to tell uh so after clerks he went and if i'm not mistaken he did mole rats mm. and more mole rats bombed the thing about mole rats is that it aged pretty well now that we're all in that kind of like nostalgia time for like for that time yeah and he talks a lot more about his love for like comic books and it's more of a pop culture kind of movie and it's just about hanging out at the mall so okay. he's got in a similar fashion as clerks like characters that are kind of just going through a day where there's yeah. like not much happening they're very much mall. films about nothing Mm-hmm. And then, but this one's more like a, it's got a little bit more of a structure. There's like a guy that's starting patching up the relationship with his girlfriend. There's like a big event happening at the mall, and the mall's kind of like the backdrop of where that's happening. But then he starts to, at this point, he starts to get like interest from like other actors, and people are like, "Oh shit, he's the guy that made Clerks," because mm. Clerks blew up as like the indie film yeah. of that time. Um, so Ben Affleck is in um, in Mallrats. Um, who else is in Mallrats? Uh, I'm gonna check. <laughs> no, I'm not that much of a Kevin Smith encyclopedia. Yeah, but uh, the point is like he starts to get more attention for that movie, and he doesn't sell well at all. Fuck! Did you imagine that man? Like you, you come off like of a big hit, and then you're. You're on Miramax, so you're like, okay, I gotta do something big, you know, because like you're you're and now you, you have just a got budget, signed, right? you got a budget, and people are looking at you, like, man, that the pressure to deliver after a thing like that must be pretty intense, especially because your film is like such a like an offbeat thing, you know, it's it's kind of like it's your style, and it's just like on that line between weird and awful, but weird and great, you know, yeah, it's like. Yeah, I think it's it's got to be like a ton of pressure and like it's got to be hard to deliver. What's well, a bit of a fear? I wouldn't like to be in that position. That's what I'm saying. Like, and <laughs> you're probably going to be in that position because then you you make a movie mm-hmm. and you're resourceful and you're clever and you're probably like thinking out yeah. like how is how are we going to make these right? And you make it and it's yeah. a hit, and then you're like shit What's the next thing that I'm going to do? And you probably already have a studio lined up saying like, hey, you know, we're mm. gonna we're going to give you so much money for this movie. You've already got distribution all figured out. Uh, so now you've got a budget. Yeah. Now you've got people that are like, oh, Dude. shit. You know, like... Uh, there you got yes men. Yeah, exactly. You've like, got yes men. Yeah, man. and like suddenly, boom, your process is different. Because you're not struggling for everything, thinking about like, okay, how do we get like... How do we film in a freaking location without any windows? Like, with, yeah. with, you know? Like, oh, uh, um... We'll just say it's jammed, man. We're, we're going to film it and we're going to say it's jammed. Somebody put some gum in there and it'll piss them off. And it's like an extra layer while he's pissed off. And then everyone's going to come in. They're going to be like, is it open? And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's like, that, that's yeah, part that of your cleverness process. comes out of that. Exactly. Yeah, that, How that, do we fix it? We struggling. throw money at it. And exactly. And then it becomes so simple, right? It's just like, oh, throw some fucking, you know, throw some 9Ks through there. We're going to be at the beach. There's going to be tons of light. It's going to be super bright. We're good, you know? <laughs> Well, it's, it's a different and process. It's something that the you could argue, uh, and it's probably something that happened in mall rats because in mall rats, all of a sudden they're shooting in a mall. Mm. I don't know if it was a set that they built a mall or mm. if it was an actual mall. Knowing him, it was probably an actual mall. Yeah. 
So you had people there, you got people like Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck was starting out, uh, Jason Lee, which was his first movie. Um, you've got Stan Lee actually made his uh, a cameo there. Shit. And a lot of the conversations about comics and just hang out in a mall in the 90s. Um, there's like the part of the plot of it. Well, not a plot, but like um, like a Chekhov's gun, I guess, of the movie. Like a foreshadow thing. It's like Stan Lee's going to come to the mall and be signing comic books. Mm-hmm. So naturally it's the kind of movie that nowadays with all of the comic book culture that's in the mainstream people look at this movie and it's like oh that's fucking cool it's nice it makes sense relate. now kind of thing yeah but yeah. back then it flopped mm, people sense. were like well he was like a one hit kind yeah. of like director that that's it one and done clerks Fuck. count him out uh, and then he does jersey girl which is a name i somehow remember so i uh, feel like that one was kind of jersey hit. girl is universally Hate it. Damn it, I fucked up. Okay. Uh, so, and I don't know if it's Jersey Girl before uh, Mall Rats or after, mm. but it's like, bomb, bomb. Shit. And then he's like, fuck, what are we going to do? Clerks 2. No, Clerks 2 is after. <laughs> then he later. does Chasing Amy. Okay. Oh, you've talked to me about Chasing that. Amy is an amazing movie. Nice. It's one... Uh, he was probably hungry again. He, yeah, I think so. That's I think that's happens. what happened. And he was probably like, no, Kevin, we're not going to give you like a lot of money. you got to prove yourself yeah. again. Mm. It's like three, it's three and you're out at that point. Right? Oh, yeah. No, you can't. I, I don't think you can fuck up that many films. Like, yeah, they want their money. They're, they're not going to take that risk, man. There's so much money being thrown around. Like, you can't. Like, everybody makes a film that doesn't become the massive hit. I mean, most films are not a massive hit. Yeah. So it's kind of like. Okay, but like if you're if if we're throwing money at two of your films, man. Yeah, and they make. Like, why would I throw more money? Right, you're film. losing money with yeah. those two movies. Um, and he's always said that most of his movies do better on DVDs. like DVDs yeah. and because almost all of his work has become like a cult yeah. hit. Yeah. Um, so the thing about Chasing Amy is that Chasing Amy is uh, it's a it's a rom com, but in a very different way. Mm. It's not like it's not the traditional um it's not the traditional formula, it's not the traditional thing. And this is like 97, 98. And so you've got a comic book artist that's played by Ben Affleck, because he and Ben Affleck uh were tight mm-hmm. back then. Um I guess they're tight now, but they had like a long period of like they weren't friends anymore. Lucidness. Yeah, like so it's a whole it's a whole fucking mm-hmm. thing. It's a whole rabbit hole that thing. Oh, but uh hear about it. Let's go to fucking Frank here. What? <laughs> if I'm being Frank. Um, so, Chasing Amy is about a comic book artist that falls in love with a girl, and the girl is gay. And they have this relationship in which they're friends, but she's kind of like, kind of with him, but not mm. because she's also trying to figure out like, like her sexuality. Yeah, 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 at first she's like, but, and then it's how the characters, the characters deal with that. Mm-hmm. And especially the Ben Affleck is like struggling to understand and accept that. Uh, so it's a, it's a very interesting film that is still a romantic comedy. And by, I, yeah. by that time, he kind of does that. The classic uh, Kevin Smith, not formula, but style is very, very well in place because you've got the same characters. You've got uh, Jen Silent Bob show up again. Oh, shit. Uh, the girl, the character actually of uh, Amy um is referenced in clerics you remember that yeah it's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. like oh that's uh alisa's sister. sister yeah it's like alisa is the character in chasing oh, amy cool. so even I, I don't think uh 
I don't I don't think he had it planned out the, like at that point. But yeah, he's always tried to yeah. he's always tried to incorporate all his movie into his movie universe. universe. I love that shit. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun because he was the first. I I would dare say he was the first director that was doing that in movies. Like connecting them through saying like all of this happens in the same universe and you see characters jumping from one to the other. Dang. Because dang. in all the movies you've got James Silent Bob and in all, in all the movies Silent Bob says like the one yeah. theme. Drops theme. Yeah, drops theme. And it's it, it was an accidental thing. That's cool. Because he didn't want uh, Silent Bob to speak at all. Mm-hmm. That's why Silent Bob, right? And that final line in Clerks, uh, Jay was supposed to say because Jay's telling him like, I don't know, yeah. man, you've got this girl that brings you lasagna mm-hmm. and she cares about you. And yeah, but he talks to Ghetto to be able to like really the, drive the point. The home. thing is like Jay wasn't and Jason Mewes wasn't an actor. Mm. Jason Mewes was one kid that he knew. Like, yeah. Pretty much, he was like, okay, Jay, get get in the frame, and you're just gonna do Jay shit. <laughs> he says like that's how these guys in real life. Like, I mean, he's not drug dealer or anything. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, uh, allegedly. No, he had, he had a drug problem. Jason Mewes had a huge drug problem at some point. Uh, and it's kind of like, he's a very interesting person. How yeah, yeah. He's got, there's a whole story about him, uh, like getting out of it and like going like, uh, he, I think he's been like sober for something like 10 years now. Like it, that's his soul. He's mm-hmm. own thing. But Kevin Smith has always said that he was just, that was the guy, like personality wise, like that's who he was. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just want to put, like, the world needs to know this kid. And and they've been like this, like... Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know he's like, isn't he... Does he do the podcast with them, or they one of his podcasts? Yeah, so they, like, yeah, they're always like connected. Uh, they have a podcast that's called the Jan Silent Bob Get Old. That's awesome, and they do it on the road. They, it's like a okay, show. There you and, go. Uh, so that was like both of my ideas into one. But in reality, none of them were my ideas because I was just like, <laughs> "What is it they do?" But then I messed they, up. It, and <laughs> they do it. It turns out they do it. Yeah, in yeah. One. <laughs> and it's uh it's it, it's pretty it, it's pretty fun but uh since he wasn't an actor he mm. uh, i mean obviously he's acting he like wasn't stuff. able to deliver he what he wanted he didn't so remember he was like, the line. i'm not gonna be that silent and then so, he says it exactly so sure. it's like he leaves before dropping the main line and kevin smith's like fuck it i guess i'll say it so he says that's it and cool. then that becomes a, a thing so it's like to me that's like disappointing that that's a mistake because uh that's the strength of that line is like you got this guy called silent bob he's super silent and then like when he does choose to to mm-hmm. voice something it's like something really meaningful and important and it like gave his line way more importance oh, and then yeah, yeah so to hear it's an accident it's like well fuck you know yeah well i mean it's a happy accident how many times like oh, you've, yeah, had, lots a, of you've happy had happy accidents in movies right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and i think it's part of that like there's the things that you that you know that you want to put in there as a mm-hmm. filmmaker, then there's everything else that everybody in the casting crew bring yeah, into just... the project. <laughs> and then there's the shit that just happens yeah. when you start rolling. And they're often mistakes and you're like, fuck. And then you're like editing it and you're like, wait, this works so well. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best when that happens. Yeah. Oh man. And uh, I think there's a, I mean, it's not like an improvisational aspect of it, Mm. but there's the movie being bigger than the sum of its parts. Oh, yeah. And it's things that people are like, oh, I really like that. You know, like people... It's like the concept of the rewrites also. It's like, I don't think people understand, like, you know, there's three writing process. You, Mm -hmm. there's your writing, then you're filming it, and then the editing. Those are the three writings. And it's like, in 
like before really making films, like even at the beginning when I was making films, like I didn't really get that. Like in my mind, I was making a movie and then I was filming the same movie and then I was editing the same movie and it was all the same movie. Um, but like, oh my God, we've gone dry. But yeah, so it's like, oh yeah, there is a red light. So I was talking the whole time and I was like, I I think that should have been my response because I'm like, I'm on the angle though. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, the the whole rewriting thing, uh, for me, I think it really, really hit home doing the trailer. It's like the first time where like, yup, yup, like they're complete rewrite, like all the whole way through. And like that concept that when you're filming it, it's no longer what you wrote. And when you're editing it, it's no longer what you've shot. It's like, <laughs> it's so scary. It's though. scary as fuck. Cause like, but, but again, it's also, if you look at it kind of like sculpting, it's kind of like you're, you're sculpting it rough and then you're shaping it in detail and then you're polishing it. Yeah. Right. I know nothing about sculpting. It's like somebody's a sculptor's listening to me. Go <laughs> like, that's not how you sculpt. <laughs> this is how we sculpt. It's like, <laughs> I would love to see like somebody in the comments like this how you fuck you this motherfuckers are right there about sculpting let me fucking sculpt I'm gonna sculpt you right here I got your sculptor right here motherfucker yeah anyways metaphors about sculpting always lead to grabbing balls of course it's like you gotta grab the sculpture by the balls <laughs> yes and just do that it's step just, one of the process yeah just just mold it with your how they did the David the, yeah, yeah. He's, got, like, the he's got like yeah you grab the sculpting by the balls yeah. and just everything else just pops into shape. Yeah. Class. Just like you grab something so hard by the balls <laughs> that's just like all the excess marble yeah, yeah. just also. All the ex- yeah. Same thing with the movie. Yeah, same thing. So it's interesting the trailer that you bring up the trailer. Yeah. Um, hopefully we'll see that soon up in the webs. I'm in conversations for releasing it soon with oh, uh, Sir Jarrett of the Man's Variety. <laughs> uh, so in the trailer because it, it had a it had a very very weird production um life i would say all of it was weird so it was a project that was commissioned yeah so somebody else well i guess that you applied to it you earned that project yeah. but then it was for somebody else yeah which it's it's publicity very, yeah, yeah. But it's create. It's like artistic publicity. Yeah, you know? totally. it's not just like oh well, it was, make us a corporate video. Yeah. yeah, it was almost. It was basically almost artistic freedom in the sense that like pitch us your idea, and then from there we're gonna beep, 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 like we're gonna be a part of the process to like remove ridiculous jokes and stuff that's well, like won't fit in. But then I mean, almost everything went in. And it's been mentioned uh, before when dealing with this project uh, with in our like inner circle that it's pretty much like working for a studio yeah you know we've got yeah, executive like, producers yeah. right so dealing with that project i mean for me it was obviously like a first having I mean, to deal with that and then it's like oh fuck they want us to do what and yeah. uh, and and you know and so we're jonathan we're like no uh well i mean it's the same thing if it were like yeah making yeah, yeah. A, mo- a movie with somebody else's money dealing with an executive producer mm-hmm. that's what they do and it's like fuck that's right yeah that's what it's gonna be but um having that in mind you know like the process started with uh, you had an idea. Uh, you and Soe had the original idea, and then uh, it came oh, to the man. writers' room. Compared to that, it's like it's yeah. I mean, if we because so I different because there, there's those layers, right? So like, different. You, yeah, especially you when you bring in other writers too. For it sure. was it, it, 
I, I'm I can only imagine. And even even in the writers' room, right? When mm -hmm. we were uh, you, Jonathan, and I, and we were writing that out, yeah. the first thing that we wrote and the end product of it, even before it got translated into French, version. right? Yeah. Because it went like translation. It was French, English, French. <laughs> French, 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 French. Yeah, we French a lot. And then, it <laughs> and that's how coronavirus <laughs> happened. Um, so even in that writers' room, when you bring other voices, other creators, like, and even uh, people that you worked with in the past, and that you have the same kind of vibe and same yeah, kind yeah. of human, same kind of process, in the same room, the thing that you bring in and the thing that comes out is extremely different. Mm. Um, if you're lucky, it's going to be. Different for at the least best. in the same line. Yeah, exactly. I don't think if you're lucky. I think if you're any good at it. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we're, we're in an incredibly fortunate position in which we can write with people that like that we're working along yeah. the same lines. Yeah. In parts that we we all are like even even when we have we to found each other. <laughs> we, like nobody was imposed, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. And, yeah. and and there were moments, obviously, when we were like, uh, no, that's a bad idea. Oh yeah. Uh, and there were Several moments where it's ideas. like two, like uh, two people voted against one, yeah. and two voted like a different two people voted against another different yeah. one. But and then there's some bad ideas that ended up going in the trailer, and then during the screening, those bad ideas calm the fuck down. <laughs> actually, really worked. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's yeah. Uh, and I think that's. The whole point, the whole weird rant that, rant that we're having is yeah. how how those ideas transform. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm curious, like in a, I mean, I think any big big budget uh, production would have the same kind of process following. Mm. And you know, like probably listening, bigger, yeah, uh, yeah, we've seen like a bigger. It's like More a bigger variables. scale, and with harsher consequences yeah. in a way um i've heard it described as like you're gambling with somebody else's money oh it's gotta be the best <laughs> i don't know <laughs> just the studio coming down and being yeah. like yeah. where's the where's the where's the cut you yeah. know where's the shit we we want you to take this out and you're like nah fuck it right artistic integrity yeah, man it's yeah, like yeah. no we, we didn't like it fo it focused poorly in china and you're like china <laughs> where do you focus testing my movies on china you know who the fuck i am i'm mad fucking rich <laughs> oh, i can't wait uh because it's something that i the best i personally i'm i hate the idea of movies being focus tested i know yeah it's like, wait, like, do you have the best investigators in the world to be able to find my niche audience? Like, yeah. how do you know? Like, I don't want to make films that are for the general every person public. And like, I want films like, like, here's a bunch of people. This will test this positive on average for everyone. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. I wanted to test this great for this many people instead of this many people yeah. this great like i wanted to be yeah like, like there's a chunk of I these wanted... many people that don't like it exactly. they can go fuck themselves it's not for them yeah. they can hate it for a liker it's like that test audience just guarantees that you have a meh reaction well, like you have a generally positive yeah you're not gonna get like a whoa you know you know what time it is um if you know it it's shitting on the big studio time <laughs> We do that a lot. Uh, yeah, I yeah, love yeah. that time. I love that segment <laughs> of the show. So yeah. that's the reason. We should cut the toilet. And just like a big No, let's not cut the toilet. <laughs> like a steamy, just like... <laughs> we'll find it. We'll find it. You day. know what? I have the right cut for this. I don't think we're... I don't want to cut. <laughs> what do you mean? 
keep talking about it. You'll say it in the edit. Okay. Uh, thanks to editing magic. <laughs> uh, so, um, I think that's the reason why you get such bland movies, yeah. right? And there's obviously certain movies. Uh, if you have had Clerks, to bring it back to the point of this episode, or you've had uh, a Pulp Fiction mm -hmm. and you focus test those oh, man, movies. That never worked. Assuming they would get made in the yeah. first place, because they probably wouldn't. No. Um, the movie would be very different. Yeah. They'd be like, you cannot, like, uh, I, I'm betting, like, safe studio executive for clerks. Yeah. Like, you cannot, you cut that shit in the car. Like, mm -hmm. no talking about sucking your own dick. Yeah. Uh, the guy in the bathroom was not dead. One of the characters needs to be a lesbian. <laughs> it's it's got to be woke. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of it's weird because, like, um... Yeah, it's not as woke. This isn't woke. This, this isn't woke. This no, this isn't woke. Remotely woke. There's like, there's reference, like, I mean, they, they say fag once. Whoa. Uh, cut that out. Yeah, cut that. I think it's something that Kevin Smith actually has said at some point somewhere that he's like, yeah, you know, I think it ages well, but just like, we said fag once and it's Three like, times, man. it's like, yeah, yeah no, it's, it's not yeah. like super troubling. Yeah. It's like, it's, that's the only thing that I'm like, ah, um, but then you have the joke about the guys that are like gay and have like sheep. They're sheep farmers or something. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but that's kind of like the only. I think like back to the 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 testing. Worse, I think than uh, that is the formulas. Like if mm. you talk about a certain uh, monthly subscription based service, who I hopefully one day want to make films for. Um, <laughs> so oh, I will not mention my name. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> they've like this film would have never been made because like they have a formula, pretty much. Mm -hmm. It's like if you're not like I feel like the films are getting more and more formatted, and it's like if you yeah, don't have this, sure. this, this, and that, and if that by this page you don't have this, then we're gonna like I feel like the studios because they're throwing around so much big money and there's like so many films getting made and it's like the competition is like super fierce because there's tons of stuff. It's like, I feel like now they, everything's super formatted, which is really annoying. And it's like, how do you make films that are interesting that stand out in a crowd and yeah, while still having some sort of artistic freedom? I feel like that's kind of like going to be the challenge of like our generations of filmmakers. But I think that, I mean, if, if we think about uh, art and history kind of coming in waves, yeah. you know, I'm hopeful that we're going to reach that tipping point in which it's like, oh, this formulaic, the exterior control, these base, and people are going to be like, you know what? I want some fucking original voice. And that's about cinema time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of where I am. And that's yeah. what I want to see. And th that's the reason why I fucking love Kevin Smith. Because, you know, like, if mm. you've watched Yoga Housers, even I'm like, dude... Please no, don't. Um, and but at the same time, you've got somebody that's so true and so unique to his own voice and his own style and yeah. making the movies that he wants yeah, to make. Yeah, you don't give a fuck. That exactly. He I, I feel like all the best directors are the ones who don't give a fuck. It's like there's there's the mass crowd films that will get made, and then there's the directors who don't give a fuck, but they're mm -hmm. on top of the mass guard, like you know, average run-of-the-mill film. Yeah. Like, the, the ones who we remember are the ones who don't give a fuck, and they do Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's like the... I think that that's the movies that when you tell people, like, hey, what's your favorite movie? You know, mm -hmm. like, they might go... 
to a time in Hollywood that it was more of like the grand epic Hollywood. Yeah. And I'm not even saying like the Golden Age. I'm saying like Ben-Hur and shit like that. I'm saying like Indiana Jones and mm. like Star Wars and uh, Back to the Future. Like I don't yeah. know why I'm mean, It's like Spielberg yeah. related films. Yeah. But um, like things like that that you're like, oh yeah, those, those movies are awesome because they inspired the generation. They inspired like mm. the now. But now in this like Hollywood era right now... Um, they're so almost interchangeable and there's a yeah. lot of movies recently that i fucking absolutely love mm-hmm. like but at the same time it's like the more unique the voice of the director the more interested i am in it yeah. that's why i love wes anderson's why i love uh david david lynch uh david fincher uh kevin smith tarantino aronofsky's it's heavy he's heavy yeah um but it's uh and then every now and then you've got like these now that's a movie directors mm. right like paul thomas anderson and scorsese mm. uh, but they're villeneuve. villeneuve um but they're coming well villeneuve is like younger uh not anymore he's like i don't know but i wouldn't put him like he's not an old timer the, but he's i wouldn't uh, put them with like the no he's uh, like one of the fresh fresh yeah yeah, yeah. Which is, I put him like in the generation of uh, maybe uh, creatively, not necessarily in age, mm-hmm. with like, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, fuck, uh, Chris Nolan yeah, and totally. uh, that crew, mm. which is like the big studio. I don't know. Maybe well, we like, do like some um, well, Villeneuve he's, next he's, time. He's because... a, oh, dude, I'm super down. Oh, yeah, let's do Villeneuve. Um, yeah, he's like, because um, he's kind of like a studio director now. I mean, he's, he's doing Dune. He did. Uh, uh, Blade Runner, he, he did, did so uh, Arrival. Arrival, yeah. So, but well, Arrival that, was more of an artistic film, but like a lot of the films that he's doing now, yeah. they're very they're very studio films. Yeah. They're like high production, like but, mass appeal, and but still, and I would say that Arrival is still kind of studio y. Yeah, very much so. That's the thing about Arrival. That's fucking awesome about I love it. That it's film. that it's so. It's like you give that content, uh, or or that I don't know. Did he write it? I would assume he did. He just because the the I I need to look into it, but just because of the that whole like parallel with linguistics and shit like that's his Is type that's of his thing. Well, um, coming from like a bilingual city, yeah. right? He's like uh your homeboy. And like if you let's see real quick, like Arrival is like um, Arrival is kind of like a an Utar film with a studio shell. Like it's yeah, it's, it's just got one. this great like super interesting artistic storyline and like it just super character driven and then like but everything aesthetically about it and everything is like a highly produced studio film so it's based on a story by ted chan okay which i believe is uh, i'm gonna guess chinese uh, he's american um but i i wouldn't be surprised that um i wouldn't be surprised that um let's see all right so, Arrival is based on a story uh, that I wouldn't be surprised that he picked it specifically yeah. because of what you're talking about, the yeah. linguistics, that's something that would appeal to him. And part of like the, the brilliance or something that you have to account when you're not a writer-director, or specifically for a project, not that mm-hmm. you're incapable of doing it, right? Yeah. Uh, is that you're going to pick projects that fit your style, that are projects that you want to tell, that mm-hmm. you can do well. 
Yeah. And I think that's that's part of the genius. That's a shame. Right? Because like it, it is a big movie, you know, you've got Amy Adams and you've got uh what's what's this other guy? That Jeremy Renner. The alien guy. The alien guy. Yeah, um yeah. and I mean, you know, like the alien union's pretty tight. Um, you know, if you <laughs> so want to bring the so uh so the advantages are out of this world. So um the um, it, it is a it is a mainstream mainstream movie mm-hmm. treated through the lens of an auteur uh, yeah. filmmaker, especially if you see what he's made before. Yeah. Right. Oh man, I'm su- let's watch some Villeneuve next time. There's a couple of his that I didn't watch. Let's I think Fair is it Fahrenheit 911. I think that's one of his. I have no idea. I might have fucked that one up. You probably fucked that fuck one up. I fucked a lot of things up. Um, but, uh, there's I think one, it is, Incendiary? Incendiaries? That's what I fucked up. That's the one. That, I hear yeah. that that's like... Um, that's a very good one. I, uh, it's like, I think it? that's like... Uh, I have it. Let's watch that because like I think that's the one it that like, like people are just like... That's... Who, that's that, I think that's like one of the... Like I think that's the first film that put him on the map in America. That's crazy. It's yeah. so... It's so baffling. Did you watch Prisoners? No, it's really good. I've only All watched his like right. big like he's. I've I've watched everything he's done after Arrival, which is mm-hmm. like Arrival, um, Blade Runner, Blade Runner. Which I mean, I could it. talk for a long time about. I love Villeneuve, hated Arrival. Ah, uh, not Arrival, <laughs> but uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. We've yeah. had that conversation. We have. Maybe we should save that to the Villeneuve episode. Yeah, let's well, for sure. We're Let's gonna save it. it for the Villeneuve episode. But um, something, I mean, there's, there's an, I think there's an art to being able to manage and uh, juggle in a way the material, uh, what you want to do, well, the studio. Yeah, well, there's the, I had like a question that I think like we should jam on about that, about like our generation of filmmakers, All right. how to, because like, it's either you, you kind of like, like, how do you want to get to a career which makes sense? Oof. Which is like, you know, gets you work and stuff. Given that there's a huge category of here are the requirements to make a good film. Now go ahead and produce the film we're telling you to produce. And you're an average run-of-the-mill filmmaker. Or how do you get to the point where you're like, you direct films that are your unique touch sort of as these directors that we've been talking about. It's like, how do you in the modern filmmaking landscape get out of the herd to do that like what's the route now like is it still like south by southwest and and uh, sundance i mean and places like that that'll like you know it's like because now there's they get tons and tons of applications for films they don't just have random old people going to cinemas and being like i'm gonna walk out of here and then write an article about them and start a career you know it's like how how does our generation kind of like find that path is that's what's tough about filmmaking and being a director. It's like they won't teach you that in film school. Like, mm-hmm. how do you run your own path? Like, because because the the people who walked the path before you, the path has shifted since then. Especially so in our generation, because yeah. like, it was this way forever, and then the internet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you have the big change in the industry, right? You've yeah. got the death of the of the studio system yeah. and New Hollywood that was the time of the Scorseses, the Paul Thomas Andersons, mm-hmm. uh, the Spielbergs, all all those kids. That now they're not kids; they're grandpas. <laughs> uh, but then you have the that generation of the people that came to prominence in the nineties. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's the people that came through the studio way, and then you have the people that came through the indie way. Yeah, and there's like that indie wave after. Uh, yeah, they're kind of like, that's the indie wave. Yeah. When, when indie but, filmmaking but, became like a main but thing. But still, the industry and the way to consume films and everything was still the same. And it's just yeah. there's this indie wave that like the the equipment is more accessible and like we can make these films I that are more like... I think that's a key aspect in this conversation because if you look at the budgets for the movies back then, like you're shooting on film and you're shooting on equipment that's ridiculously expensive. Just, yeah. just the film, buying the film stuff, it's... it's so much money it's so yeah. expensive that eliminates like a huge amount of competition just the, just that the, the the barrier of entry that's exactly. like you need to that's be have this much money to make a movie yeah. and uh, and then the the fact that it's limited right yeah. so you so you cannot go out and shoot and put the camera and do you know fuck it we'll do it like 20 times yeah. if we have to because yeah, you're yeah. running out of film stuff and um and now you know i mean there's people I don't remember who it was but there was a director that made a movie on an iPhone yeah and that was the point of it uh, yeah. and it got like uh, it got a limited release such a fucking gimmick I mean he was <laughs> yeah it was so like, gimmicky I have I have no idea I, I can't didn't remember see who it, it was. I, I hope it was garbage I, uh, I don't know <laughs> it, it was it was gimmicky but it yeah. did prove a point of course. I mean, if you're a big name director, you can do whatever the I mean, fuck you want. It could be cool if you're doing like some sort of sci-fi thing and you're incorporating cell phone like use in I don't know, but I just not, to me I it mean, just the whole thing was like gimmicky. you know we we shot it uh, we shot it in a phone yeah like but but it gets to the point where talk about it. yeah you don't you don't have the best uh, uh, you don't have the best equipment but you have equipment. Mm -hmm. And we've had this conversation, right? Like when uh, when doing screenings and talking about the movies, you've pointed out. Yeah. What's the first question people ask you at a um, Q&A? What did you shoot it on? Uh, camera of sorts. <laughs> uh, had lenses. And yeah. <laughs> like being uh, not yeah. uh, but I mean it makes sense in the beginning that's what you ask it makes sense because, because you're saying like there. people have like people's movies look like this my movie looks like yeah, shit yeah for sure and um, you want to yeah that makes it's sense it's a concern yeah. um, and uh, it, it's gotten like for me at least in my in my in my experience like I don't even like I had to I had to think about that. I don't I don't remember so I, don't I, I think know. I think there was something interesting though in that example with a cell phone because that's kind of what I was starting to get to with like my idea of like okay how do you fucking make it you know in this generation high concept yeah. I think we're in a generation of high concept it's like um, so you can make a film that's got an original story you can make a film that's aesthetically pleasing you can make a film that's you know very universal um, or you can go high concept, Christopher Nolan, for example, like Memento, mm -hmm. you know, the, the whole story structure is very high concept. It's yeah. just like you're reinventing the way you're telling the story in terms of But chronology. at the same time, it's not a uh, high concept in the sense of like, man, it happens in outer space and we've no. got aliens and we've got... It's, no, it's, but then Interstellar was, right? Yeah, but like if you're concept. talking about, uh, because you, you can, I think it... It, it's the right, I think it's the right term and the, the right way that mm -hmm. you're putting it, but there's a difference between your story, your plot is high concept or your storytelling in mm -hmm. itself is high concept. Right? Yeah. I think How are you going to tell the story? It's like not the, it's not really, the distinction would be it's not necessarily like a, a, 
the story of a large concept. It's more of like a high concept in the sense that like the concept is complex and original. Mm-hmm. Like of the film, like for example, again, Christopher Nolan, because he's like the high concept director. Uh, him and uh, the other one, Inaritu, who I really don't like. Oh, yeah. Inaritu? Uh, Inaritu Bird, did uh, uh, Birdman. Birdman, yeah. And, uh, uh, so those are two really Revenant. high concept directors. Um, so high concept examples. Uh, Revenant, shoot in the Canadian wilderness and be an asshole to ho- your whole crew. That's high concept. Because like, holy shit, you shot a film in the Canadian wilderness for how long? Like, that's crazy. It is. It's crazy. He's an asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here? Probably not first. Yeah. I've heard it before. <laughs> yeah. From this mouth. <laughs> Too many times. Yeah, it's okay. Um, and then Christopher yeah. Nolan, uh, let's say uh, Inception, mm-hmm. high concept. The story within a story within a story within a story. And it's like, uh, and, and how all of that's attached together and the dreams. And so that universe building and everything is very high concept. Mm-hmm. Um um, same thing, uh, Birdman. The all of it in a fake uh, one shot. One, yeah. Yeah. So those are high concept films. They get talked about. So I think that's kind of like the way to get out of all the noise mm-hmm. is high concept. Well, I mean, I think that's what makes sense now. And some of them are very doable. Some are. I oh yeah. Think are that doable? But uh, so for example, Birdman. Yeah. You can set up a movie like that not gonna, in an indie budget. Yeah, like, it's not, no exactly, problem. Exactly. Uh, Memento, you can do Memento on a no budget. Yeah. No problem. Think of even, I mean, no budget example of high concept paranormal activity. Oh, fuck. Paranormal activity is... Uh, paranormal activity is... It's the it's, highest grossing it's weird. film ever. Like, yeah. It's nuts. Because it was made with 10 grand and it made a uh, 100 million, something like Fish. that. Like, and it, it's something that... Um, that I keep coming back to it because uh, my friend Misha loves horror. Uh, he's working on his, his first uh, script right now. And it's a horror thing. We've always enjoyed horror movies. Mm-hmm. And it's always a case study. It's a little bit ridiculous to use it as a case study because it's... No, uh, no, it's the, the thing it's is that learn there. it's... But I don't think it's... You can replicate it, but not to the same effect. No, because they they it was they the retired. Perfect. I mean, the shirt's retired. It's like, all right, yeah. paranormal activity cannot do a film like that anymore. That's been and, done. And you can and you I, know? I mean, there's a reason why horror gets made the way it gets made because mm-hmm. horror is so cheap to produce. Cheap and dirty. It's dirty people, and that's the yeah. thing. The audience of horror. Can you say hate. dirty people again. It was really cool how you said it. <laughs> because it's it was, dirty it was, people <laughs> but it was two different sentences I know <laughs> it's uh, uh but cheap and dirty we're talking about cheap and dirty cheap and but dirty. people yeah <laughs> um that it's uh people try to replicate it mm-hmm. but um it's not gonna be the same thing because even um wait no I went back too much what I was saying yes is that um Horror, the, the, the people that watch horror yeah. are the audience is educated to accept cheap and dirty mm. as a, as a yeah, it's part competent of movie, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like horror is almost B movie ish. Yeah. And well, there's B horror and there's mainstream horror, but mm-hmm. uh, you can get away with so much. And I don't say this in any like diminish, diminishing way or uh, like putting that horror because I fucking yeah. love horror. And uh, but you can get away with so much because the, yeah, the genre allows for it. Mm. and a lot of people turn a lot of profit from horror maybe you don't yeah. see like all the horror makes 100 million like paranormal activity but if you have a horror movie that makes 
five million dollars mm-hmm. but guess what you shot it with 20 grand mm. Oof, that's money for everyone it's nuts and you know you come to uh, production houses like bloomhouse mm-hmm. yeah, uh, bloomhouse makes so many movies and bloomhouse even makes like direct to streaming movies and they do like they they're prolific because they do a shit ton of movies. Yeah, they're high volume. And then, they, but at the same time, they also did Get Out, and they hmm. also did just um, another one that wasn't like a super horror movie. Uh, they they're producing all levels of content, mm-hmm. but the thing is that they are able to turn a profit. So maybe you can say like, hey, you know, I made a movie, it made uh, five million, mm-hmm. and if you compare that into like mainstream Hollywood, people are gonna be like. Your movie made. Why'd you, wait, why'd you waste your time with five million? Yeah, but then you tell them, <laughs> yeah, I made it with twenty grand. Yeah. So and then they're like, what, what, how, how much, much percent of ROI is that? Yeah, and, and it's like, yeah. and the studio is happy, the distributor is happy, yeah. you're happy, and they're like, oh, this kid can bring me a return it, of investment. Probably not. Like this kid can bring me a return of investment of so much money. Yeah, and then you're shooting, and, and shooting then you're and doing like movies and movies and movies yeah. and movies. And I think bring it back to the question of like, well, how do you get break out in that sense? You know, eventually, if you're constantly making movie to a to a production company in that amount, by being very effective with your stories, being mm-hmm. very economic filmmaker, and just turning a decent profit, one of them might be a hit. You know, yeah. maybe there's the one yeah. that it's not the paranormal activity, but maybe they said like, hey, you know what? This kid, I give him fifty thousand dollars. He brings him five million. What happens if I give him five million? Yeah, yeah. You know, and don't fuck up. It turns bring... out you bring in twenty thousand dollars. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it happens. Who would have known? It's inversed. <laughs> it, it happens to people. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's yeah, a lot of directors yeah. that that's that's how their careers probably end, or then they need to figure something out. Yeah, got to um, work construction. Sucks ex- dick. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people have flops. Yeah, and a lot of good people have flops, and then flops that then become something, something popular, something good, something yeah. else. And then you just recycle yourself and start shooting films like Sharknado and make a ridiculous amount of money while shooting at the beach, having fun. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of directors who do like B B films because they're just like, it's super easy. There's like no pressure. And they and just they make get a lot of money. the same fun process of filmmaking, but there's girls with boobs, they're on the beach, <laughs> and it's like, and they get to just, yeah, it's, it's cool that that route exists. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's, there's also directors I've probably never heard of that mm-hmm. make a great living and they, they get paid for making movies and that's what they're doing. Yeah. Which we'll figure it out, man. We'll yeah. figure it out. Um, I think that what you mentioned about the high concept storytelling is a very interesting thing. I think thing. that's where it's at. I will add style. Yeah. Uh, and a style that, like, if somebody's like looking at this podcast and saying like, you know, I'm going to take notes, mm-hmm. which would be fucking awesome. Uh, uh, I would say don't, don't stylize for the sake of just oh, stylizing. Man, man. Like, have a decent... Like, Tarantino is Tarantino because his style is Tarantino. You know, yeah. uh, Kevin Smith's dialogue is Kevin Smith dialogue, and mm-hmm. it's a style. But when you're just stylized, yeah. there's so many. I feel like the style, school. Yeah, I feel like the style is kind of like born out of like your imperfections at a certain point, more than your strength. Well, like a combination of your strengths and imperfections. It's like you kind of like lean into certain things and less to others, depending on what you enjoy doing and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can't be imitating other people's styles or trying to think of your style, or it's just like 
like if you do it enough, you will develop your style. And yeah. but especially like you got to do it enough, develop your style, but also like push around with it in the beginning, like make some mistakes, well, do some crazy to, stuff. How are you like, gonna find it if you're not like you're gonna be able to sit down? And say like, oh, this is my style. Mm-hmm. You can sit down and consume content and watch the movies that you love and try to think about them um, like critically and creatively mm-hmm. and as learning from them and say like, hey, you know what? I love Wes Anderson's framings. Mm-hmm. I love Kevin Smith's like dialogue. Mm-hmm. I love the high concepts that um, Nolan. that Christopher Nolan uh, does. I love the humor in uh, Taika Waititi, and I and I love the, a hell of a list. <laughs> I, I kind of just I, I I'm I'm just saying like what I yeah. love, right? And then I say like, and you know what? I love um, the quirky horror of uh, Sam Raimi. So it's like, can you imagine if Kevin Smith wrote a film that's being produced <laughs> by um, that that's being produced by Christopher Nolan? Mm. That the cinematographer is uh, Wes Anderson. That is being edited by Taika Waititi, and that is directed it by. Would be an original thing. It that and that that's kind of what we do, right? Mm. The, the, yeah, how yeah, you, the I think that style yeah. is everything we've uh, brought in throughout our lives, and now we're saying it through our own filter. Yeah, and uh, the way that you find that it's like consume what you love, mm-hmm. pass it through you, but then you need to create with everything mixed together through the unique lens that is you. Um, mm-hmm. and But you're not going to be able to figure that out by just sitting and not doing. Yeah. So the first, the first work that you do is going to be an exploration and an exercise in your style. Yeah. Yeah, I think most, I think your first films kind of have to be shit. Just to, well, not really, but I mean, like, they're, they're naturally going to be these, you got to make mistakes and figure out, like, what you like and what you don't like. And it's also like what you, what works in what you see and then the, tr- the way that you try to imitate it or whatever might become different in its own unique thing. And, you know, it's like the, the style thing is, um, is like, re- like well, not too recently now, like, but um, I've, ha- I've started having people saying like, you know, that they recognize my style and my nice. films and stuff. And that's the coolest thing. Recently I had... Uh, like oh that's your style of cameo oh shit (laughs) yes (laughs) you do love your cameos love cameos I I like cameos because of Hitchcock and because of Tarantino yeah that's true Tarantino's got some good ones never gonna narrate my own films though (laughs) but he's such a that is weird and I I don't like the idea like I don't want to have dialogue in my cameos or I think that's crazy he's just there uh, like I think Tarantino does dialogue in his because he's like so much of a film buff that mm-hmm. he really wants to like he wants to be the guy saying the poetic line you know yeah. it's like, well I think it's just kind of him being like I I have this very weird idea that mm-hmm. I just want to say it yeah because then you've got the whole like um, what's it in uh, I think it's in Reservoir Dogs which is like oh the Madonna song and like a virgin and kind of what it really means and all this shit he's got like that rant about it mm-hmm. Uh, and it's him delivering it. Mm. Uh, and then he has one where he's talking. What is the other one? I don't know. It's like pop culture stuff, but not in a like poppy culture, but it's just like a culture thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the one saying it, mm. which I find it weird, but I, 
Yeah, I love Hitchcock's turn, uh, Hitchcock's uh, Cameo? cameos because, like, for example, in Psycho, he's just driving the car. Like, he almost he like hits the brakes, almost hits. I think it's like the main actress who he kills in the first fifteen minutes, which is awesome. Uh, and oh, spoilers for Psycho, <laughs> in case you haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, it's like. His cameo is just very subtle, and if you don't know that it's Hitchcock, then yeah. it's just another random person. I think those those work best, but still, he's a he's a kind of a pivotal. Well, in that film, he's not pivotal, if I'm not mistaken, but he's still like it's an important moment. Yeah. Like. Uh, well, you yeah. wanna if you're gonna put yourself, I I think like if you're gonna put yourself in the movie, it's either gonna be it's either gotta be really funny. Yeah. It's gotta be something that's special to you. Oh yeah. Or it's gonna Motion be. Aliens. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I think like <laughs> your Kodak camera. The what? Oh yeah. It is my favorite Rich <laughs> cameo. I think it's the funniest for yeah. sure that I've done, yeah. Uh so it's like see in that case it's like it's something that's funny that's but funny in your style that's just anybody like, else could have done it. So it's yeah. like, alright, I'll do it. There you go, that's my camera. Uh, or <laughs> the And that was actually an homage to uh um Shaun of the Dead when mm. there's uh, the zombie in the backyard. There's a zombie there's a girl in the backyard and then they go and then she's like hello are you okay and uh, and then they end up like uh she jumps him and then he's like on the ground and he's like cool he's like get get the shovel like to hit her or something oh, he and he gets the right. camera and he's like <laughs> and then no she gets up and there's like a hole inside her stomach and then that's when he just goes <laughs> <laughs> that's so good <laughs> That's like, oh, I love that joke. So I got a disposable yellow yeah. camera, same style, and I was nice. like, right, I didn't know it was that it. deep yeah. of a camera. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I just found it ridiculous because everybody's like, <laughs> they're like over the top DSLR. I don't want to, I don't want to say too much about this particular project, but yeah, you've got a row <laughs> of like reporters with like their really nice cameras and everything, and there's you with like your like disposable, disposable camera <laughs> and my dumbfounded face. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah should we end it i think we there? should end it on that conversation uh before we do though um we've got a little bit of a rebranding that's happening oh, we right do. now yeah. uh the name of the podcast now bebop cinema bebop. can we record that no we don't, don't have we don't, don't. Have the t- we did yeah but like <laughs> proper all right yeah, we'll use it um so, uh, yeah, you can find these now that we're all set up. Uh, yeah, you what can, you do? Uh, we can find it on YouTube, a uh, version where you see us interact and um, you'll get a visual of it. Uh, we'll go back, hopefully, when all these shit calms down to our original studio. When all of this... We're just going to go to the Winchester and wait for all of this to blow over. So yeah. once it all blows over, we'll be back in the good old Studio 5. Right on. But in the meantime, we'll try to, you know... Uh, be safe and we encourage everybody to be safe yeah. uh be creative i still want to see movies like we should get people to send us movies oh yeah like I was we, we about should that. get that going like we should uh literally just take submissions do you have a film that's already been online or hasn't who cares send us the film and then we can show like a film and then talk about it so we've got an instagram we've got a youtube channel we've got a facebook page yeah so yeah, drop us a comment that says like, hey, what's up? I'm a filmmaker from here. We'll give you a shout out. Uh, drop us a link for your movie. Yeah. And uh, we'll check it out. We'll see the short. We'll show the shorts. Yeah, we'll show the short. We'll talk about it real quick. And then we can like go into uh, 
our regular shindig. Yeah, that sounds awesome. We're also on Spotify and on iTunes. Just search it as Bebop Cinema. And uh, we'll keep this show on the road from Winchester. Yes, sir. All right. Get her done. Beep up. <laughs>